This is the emdocs.net podcast with Britt Long and Manny Singh. We bring you high-yield content about what you're seeing every day in the ED. Today, we're going to talk about a challenging but very deadly diagnosis, and that's mucormycosis. This primarily affects immunocompromised patients and those with hyperglycemia. However, it is a really rare disease. The organism that causes this infection is a fungus, typically rhizopus or mucor. These fungi are found naturally in soil and on decaying vegetation. They grow rapidly and release large numbers of airborne spores. All humans have frequent exposure to these fungal species in the environment, but a normal immune system is quickly able to destroy the fungi. These fungi have some interesting characteristics. The hyphae are broad with irregular branching and rare septations. These fungi contain an enzyme called ketone reductase. This allows organisms to grow rapidly in acidic and hyperglycemic environments. Iron is another major factor that increases growth and pathogenicity, especially in patients taking deferoxamine. These fungi contain acidophore that increases iron uptake, which stimulates tissue invasion. Once an individual inhales the spores, cilia transport them to the pharynx, the lungs, and the GI tract. Most individuals will clear the organisms, but susceptible patients have infections that begin in the nasal tournaments and the alveoli. The organism can then spread from these areas. The fungi invade blood vessels, allowing rapid spread with infarction of infected tissues. Now, based on these risk factors, it's pretty easy to guess who's going to be most at risk for these infections. By far, the most common risk factor is diabetes, especially with diabetic ketoacidosis. Other risk factors include chronic steroid use, hematologic malignancies, stem cell and solid organ transplant patients, those with iron overload or receiving defroxamine treatment, malnutrition, and injection drug use. Basically, think about this infection in those patients who are hyperglycemic or immunocompromised. Mucormycosis is the disease caused by the invading fungi. There are several different forms. There's the rhinoorbital cerebral form, the pulmonary form, the GI form, cutaneous, renal, CNS, and finally, the most deadly, the disseminated form. The most common form is the rhinoorbital cerebral form. This occurs with inhalation of spores, which allows bacteria to invade. Hyperglycemia with acidosis is the most common underlying disorder. Initially, patients present with sinusitis, fever, headache, nasal discharge, and congestion. This is very similar to viral sinusitis, which is one of the reasons why it's often missed. This initial stage of sinusitis is followed by spread to contiguous structures. Hallmark features are necrosis of the palate, turbinate destruction, paranasal swelling, and erythema or even cyanosis of the facial skin. If the orbits are involved, you may see periorbital edema, proptosis, and the patient can even experience blindness. Unfortunately, most cases progress rapidly. If intracranial spread occurs, you may see mental status changes and also cranial nerve palsies. The pulmonary form is rapidly progressive and occurs after spores reach the alveoli and bronchioles from inhalation. Pneumonia and infarction set in, often resulting in hemoptysis. From the lungs, the organisms can spread to the mediastinum and then the heart. In this form, the most common risk factors are iron supplementation, steroid therapy, and hematologic malignancies. Most patients will present with fever and hemoptysis, which can be massive. Unfortunately, like the rhinoorbital cerebral form, the pulmonary form is often difficult to differentiate from your run-of-the-mill pneumonia. In patients with fever and pneumonia and risk factors like a hematologic malignancy, 
keep mucormycosis in mind, especially if the patient has no response to antibiotics. The GI tract can also be involved, but this is more rare. The stomach is the most commonly affected site, followed by the colon. Patients may present with hematemesis and pain. The lesions that form are due to organism invasion, and these are necrotic. Perforation, peritonitis, and bleeding can result from this ulcer formation. Cutaneous mucormycosis is due to skin inoculation or local trauma with spores into the dermal layer. The lesion starts as a single, painful area of cellulitis, which then develops into a lesion similar to ectyma. If the patient has an inoculated traumatic wound, necrosis can develop rapidly. Keep this in mind in those patients with contaminated wounds, traumatic wounds, dressings, burns, and surgical sites. These all provide portals of entry for the organism. Renal involvement typically occurs in the setting of fungemia. These patients often have IV catheters, IV drug use, or AIDS as risk factors. Patients often present with abdominal or flank pain and fever. Isolated CNS involvement typically arises from paranasal sinus infection. Infection is thought to occur from fungemia similar to renal involvement. IV drug use and HIV are the most common risk factors. Patients may present with uptendation, confusion, and even focal neurologic deficits. Of note, the organism does have a predilection for the basal ganglia. The final form is the disseminated form. This is rare and seen in severely immunocompromised patients, burn patients, and those receiving defroxamine. Mortality can reach 96% in this form, and this form is found in 40-50% to 50% of patients with the cerebral or the pulmonary form of the disease. The diagnosis requires organism identification in tissue with culture confirmation on the slide, as well as imaging. Unfortunately, culture often yields no growth. One important key is that if a patient is high risk and has signs or symptoms of the disease, then treatment is necessary. Get your ID specialist and also the organ-specific consultant involved early in the case. Studies are looking at the use of PCR on histologic specimens. These are promising, but they haven't yet been validated. In patients with a rhinoorbital cerebral infection, endoscopic imaging is needed. CT of the head and orbits, or even MRI, are useful to look for intracranial and sinus spread. For pulmonary infection, obtain a chest x-ray and probably also CT. You'll be looking for focal consolidations, mass, pleural fusions, or even nodules. You might find the halo sign, which is ground glass attenuation surrounding a nodule, or the reverse halo sign. This is a focal area of ground glass attenuation surrounded by a ring of consolidation. These aren't specific for mucormycosis and might be present in about 20% of patients. The GI form can be diagnosed with endoscopic biopsy of the lesions, as can the renal form. CT scan of the abdomen and pelvis may demonstrate small foci consistent with abscesses in both the GI and the renal form. For the cerebral form, CT will demonstrate poorly enhancing lesions, and CSF studies are often normal. Again, tissue biopsy is needed. The key takeaway is that severe mucormycosis is a clinical diagnosis, and treatment needs to be started immediately before tissue confirmation. This is the only way you can improve clinical outcomes. Like in severe sepsis, treatment revolves around source control of surgical debridement and antifungal therapy. Get your consultants on the phone immediately to help you care for this patient. Predisposing factors like acidosis, hyperglycemia, defroxamine, and immunosuppression need to be addressed. If the patient's in DKA, they'll need to be rehydrated and receive insulin and electrolyte repletion. The antifungal agent of choice and the one that's most widely used is a lipid formulation of IV amphotericin B dosed at 5 mg per kilogram every day. Posaconazole is used as step-down therapy for amphotericin responders, 
or as salvage therapy for those who can't tolerate amphotericin or who don't initially respond. Debridement is required as soon as possible to remove the source of infection, but these are often very extensive surgeries. The rhinal orbital cerebral form requires removal of the palate, the nasal cartilages, and also the orbit. The pulmonary form can be typically treated with lobectomy, but multiple lobar involvement unfortunately precludes surgery. Once the patient is stabilized and has responded to initial therapies, then step-down therapy is initiated. Outcomes really vary based on time to treatment and also patient risk factors. Risk factors like severe immunodeficiency and the form of the disease affect prognosis. For example, the cutaneous form has a pretty good prognosis. However, mortality rates for the pulmonary form reach up to 90%, and for the rhinal orbital cerebral form, it ranges between 25 to 60%. Predictors of increased mortality include the disseminated form of infection, renal failure, an inability to obtain source control, brain involvement, and poor patient response to antifungal therapies. Before we sign off for today, there have been several case reports of mucormycosis in patients diagnosed with COVID-19, but the relationship of these two infections is still unclear. Some of the infections of mucormycosis were diagnosed several days to even a couple weeks after the patient was admitted for COVID-19. The mucormycosis may have been a secondary infection arising in a critically ill patient who was already on probably high-dose steroids, which can cause hyperglycemia. The majority of cases are from India, and we're still unsure why. Almost 90% of cases involve the nose and sinuses, and overall mortality is around 31%. Well, that's enough on mucormycosis. Let's talk about some take-homes. The disease has a variety of forms, rhinal, orbital, cerebral, pulmonary, CNS, renal, GI, cutaneous, and finally disseminated. Immunocompromised patients, especially diabetic patients and those with hematologic malignancies, make up the majority of patients affected. These organisms are found all over, and normal hosts are able to fight off infection. If infection occurs, the fungi invade tissue, and they cause infarction and necrosis with vascular invasion. Diagnosis requires imaging and organism identification by histopathology. But if you suspect the disease, begin treatment with a lipid formulation of amphotericin B and get your specialist on the phone early. Surgical debridement is a second necessary component of therapy. Thanks for joining us on the emdocs.net podcast. Stay safe and healthy, everyone.